Hey everyone, welcome back to Mosaics. Really happy to be here with you today. And I'm super excited to talk with Moses today. Moses Mukangezi lives in Boise. He's super active and around, so I get to see you a lot. And I've been wanting to have a conversation with you on this podcast for a while. Uh, I think it was at an event recently. You gave me some crap for not inviting you on yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. Moses Mukangezi, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I was jogging, by the way. Well, here you are. And then, uh, be careful what you joke in. about. I know, but I'm so honored to be here. You have, uh, I listened to most of your episodes, but, you know, I mean, it took you only one season to invite me on, but that's okay. I just knew I had to save you so that the second season could start off really strong. <laughs> I didn't want to waste you on no, like, first season stuff. Oh, so, yeah? Oh, yeah. yeah. So. Now you're like a professional, so you, you got to bring in pros. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <after laughs> Well, thanks so much. I'm excited to chat with you today. Me too. Um, thanks. So for listeners just getting to know you, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, my name is Moses Mukengezi, like you said, and um, I am from the Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo. That's where I was born. And uh, I moved to Boise in 2007 with my family here. Um, I love Boise. I went to Boise State. Go Broncos. <laughs> and uh, I'm a father of uh, two kids. Um, and my wife and I are busy right now with raising those yeah. young kids. So. Ages four and two, right? Four and two, yep. Boy and a girl. Boy and a girl, yeah. yeah. Busy time. And you're also working in commercial real estate? I do, yep. I work for TOK Commercial. Um, I focus mainly on retail yeah, like when we got in our in our studio, you you knew so much about the listing agent, and who's here. I'm like, okay, yeah, you know your stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, I've been in this building before, toured yep. it a couple of times, and uh, yeah, very cool. So you used to work at agency for New Americans, right? Mm -hmm. As a was it a case manager? I wore many hats at the agency for New Americans. Say, so I started as the donations coordinator, and then I did employment, and then I did case management for single families or mm -hmm. just single um, individuals there. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I was doing, I think, the when I left. That's what I was doing, donations coordinator and then also um, employment and case management. Yeah, and a lot of, I noticed that in resettlement here, which is a real, a strength of resettlement is a lot of times the people filling those roles are former refugees themselves. Mm -hmm. So what was that like for you to have the firsthand experience and then turn around and help people who were just now in the thick of it? It was a really cool experience, actually, having lived it and helping people that are just in their, you know, going through it. It was a good uh, 360 moment for me, I think, for Circle, if you could say. Mm -hmm. um, they uh, When I first got the job, I was so excited because, you know, when I got to the, to Boise, Slobodanka, the the um, the director of Agency for Americans and and other people like Yasmin, they were all the people that welcomed us. Mm -hmm. And then going to work with them, it was just really cool experience. And Christina mm -hmm. um, was still there as well. Christina Bruce Benyon, who now is uh, directing the Wasmith Center on Human Rights. Yeah, she's awesome. She's great. Um, so she uh, she's the one that hired me before she went to IOR. And then, um, so working with people that are coming and, and going through the same things I went through, and um, I loved it. 
more when I was helping people that spoke the languages that I spoke as well, because then I can just, you know, communicate with them without the translator. Mm -hmm. And they were really happy to come to the agency knowing that they can communicate with me. Um, being the donations coordinator, I thought it was the best job at the agency because people loved being, you know, I was giving them things and they loved me for that. So they Oh, you got to give people the donated items and yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. So get the apartments ready, give them everything they need in the apartment. And then if there is extra stuff when they come to the agency, like give them things and or they need something, they always kind of called me and um, mm -hmm. it was the best job I ever had. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, and I was still in college, so it was it was a really good job to have during um, during the time I was going to school. Mm -hmm. So you were really busy then, too. I was, yeah. What languages do you speak? So I speak Swahili, Kenya Rwanda, Kirundi, French, um, yeah, and some English. Oh, is that all? That's all you speak? <laughs> <laughs> I never know how people keep all these languages straight in their minds. Yeah, so uh, Kenya Rwanda and Kirundi are very similar. <clears throat> they just kind of have different, um, like, ways of saying things, I mm -hmm. guess. But they're kind of the same almost. So it's and Kenya Malenge is my um, parents' tone language, and Kenya Malenge is very similar to Kenya Rwanda as well. Uh -huh. So when yeah. you're with your family, mm -hmm. do you still do you, has English got taken over in those family settings, or do you still speak one of those languages? With my brothers. Uh, my older brothers would just speak Swahili. And are they and still my, in, in Africa? Or they're, they here? they're here. They're here. And then my uh, my parents would speak uh, Swahili as well. And your parents, are they here too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And are you um, wanting to pass down any of these languages to your kids? Oh, yeah. Uh, my uh, kids go to daycare at my uh, cousin's house. It's in-home daycare, so yeah. she speaks Swahili to them, I think, more than I do because yeah. my wife is does not speak Swahili, so mm -hmm. um, it's kind of hard for us to both communicate that with them or me just kind of being on the side. I think they get more Swahili from daycare than they do at my house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I was going to school, my brother and I were both in Spanish class, was it? Yeah. and it was really fun because at home we could kind of talk in Spanish, and my mom would be like, what are you guys saying? You'd be like, I don't know. We, can, we had that our own secret be, language that we could talk. That would be cool if my kids and I would talk and my wife would be like out of... Or like, she'll be secretly learning Swahili and then she'll understand what you're saying and get us, yourself yeah. in trouble. She does try to learn, I think, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. You and your wife did a StoryCorps episode together. We did. It was really special. Yeah. What was that like? It was a cool experience. It was a... Um, I think um, we did it with Salome. Mm -hmm. And she's a, um, as you know, she's awesome. She's a very good moderator. Yeah. And uh, it was a good experience for us, actually. We kind of pondered in the back, kind of looked at our future and uh, our past. It was, it was kind of cool to go deep back into memories of things we've done that we hadn't talked about in a long time. I think one of my favorite stories from that interview was um, you were still getting used to some of the idioms and phrases <laughs> that English speakers use. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, what did she say? She said, uh, ready, Freddy? Yeah, Freddy. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, wait a minute. We've been dating for a while now. Are like, you hanging out with a Freddy, yeah, too? Yeah, who's Freddy? <laughs> <laughs> My name is not Freddy. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, that made me laugh. Those are confusing, by the way. Still. Oh, today. I can only imagine. I one of my, I do watch TikTok, and like one of my favorite threads to get onto in TikTok is like different languages, and if you're learning English, what words or phrases are super weird to yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any more examples? Like, did you know English when you came as a 13-year-old? No. English was, yeah. I, I didn't speak a word of English. I was, you know, I was learning a lot on the airports, I guess, saying hi, and mm-hmm. that's all we do. And then, uh, yeah, I didn't speak any English. And then my brother, used, we thought my brother spoke English. <laughs> we thought he did. Because my dad would pay for his lessons back in Congo, uh-huh. and he was going to school to Every night he had lessons, and we thought he knew a little bit of English, but the whole time he would mix English and French, mm. and didn't really make any sense. Mm-hmm. But we were all, like, at the airport, he was, like, a translator, but mm-hmm. I don't think he knew anything anybody was saying. <laughs> hey, you got on the right plane somehow. It, we so. got on the right planes. we got here. Yeah. But it's not, it's not because of him. <laughs> not because of your brother. <laughs> not because of No his, commission his, pay his, for him. On no, no. If anybody paid him, they should get their money back. <laughs> <laughs> and but yeah it was it was uh it was hard learning english and then there's all these new ways of speaking and um when you're getting thought in school they teach you the right way it's like you know pronounce the whole thing it's like i am yeah you are but yeah you're probably like how what's, are you what's yeah. gotcha yeah exactly how's it going <laughs> like, what are you saying yeah and yeah easy peasy like easy peasy <laughs> <laughs> like or yeah like piece of cake mm. and i'm like as a kid you probably got really excited a lot yeah, and then like, you're like you guys are always lying about this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i uh i so learning spanish i forgot it's not as easy to flow for me now because i don't use it as much yeah but i do love the teachers that will that will show you videos of like here's what you learned in school here's how people actually talk and they show you the difference so yeah it's confusing. English is confusing sometimes because they always say like rush hour. Mm-hmm. When it's a rush hour, but like nobody's moving. The freeway. No is one's like, yeah, no one's rushing. <laughs> when it's like rush hour, like you you're in. It's like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's you should like, call it you crawl sh- hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Just like yeah, it's rush hour, but it's like nobody's. Like, your freeway is like backed up and no one's moving. I guess I don't know. I guess all rushing to rushing get to, to our get. spots to wait. Yeah. To wait. Some an English learner told me once he's like, so, you guys add ly to add, describe how you're doing something. Mm-hmm. So someone's like hardly working. It's like yeah, but you work hard, <laughs> and hardly working is the opposite of yeah. working hard. He's like, I don't understand this. I don't thing. either. Yeah. <laughs> First, I thought you was like you're working really hard, but you're hardly working. You're probably <laughs> hardly working. Yeah. <laughs> so, so as a 13 year old coming here and getting enrolled in school what was that like for you it was it was awesome it was in a way but it was also really scary mm-hmm. <clears throat> um i wanted to go to school and learn english and meet new people as a kid i was really excited and uh, to get education from the u.s was my parents' dreams coming through for all of us mm. so um it, it was cool and then i didn't speak english so i didn't make very many friends mm. i at first, it was it was uh, it was uh, kind of hard, but it was. <laughs> I think I learned more languages than I did English, because I went to this school where there's like all these kids from all over, 
Yeah. So they speak Arabic, they spoke Spanish, all the different kind of language. And we were all at the same school. And I was like learning their language. They were learning my language. And we were all there to learn English. That's interesting. Was it helpful for you to have others who were newer to America as well in your class? Yeah, it was cool in a way, but I, <clears throat> I feel like it would have been better if I had people that only spoke English because that would force me to mm-hmm. to speak more English. But then again, it did also force us to speak English because we didn't understand each other's language as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a cool experience. I loved it. It was This school used to be called the Boise Language Academy. Oh, okay. It was, um, first I went to River Glen and then I transferred to Boise Language Academy when they opened the school for a year. And then uh, after a few years, when they see that you're doing okay, then they put you throughout the high schools of of your, uh, wherever you're close to. Your home to. district. Mm-hmm. How many years did it take to feel comfortable speaking English? Or maybe months. I don't know. As a kid, you probably pick it up quicker. I'm still not comfortable speaking English. <laughs> <laughs> you sound um, great to me. <laughs> it's uh, it took a while, but I uh, I learned more when I started playing soccer with mm. a lot of kids that were from here. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of jumped in and made a lot of friends that only spoke so- um, well soccer, but also it, just English. And uh, but it's I don't know. I, I can't say really. I can't really remember like when I was comfortable mm-hmm. speaking English, but I was comfortable around people mm-hmm. that um, I was familiar with um, it's kind of hard to to open up and start talking with like the accent and then people don't know what you're saying you have to repeat yourself so I'm sure there's like a lot of uh, yeah limitation for people that are learning uh, to be comfortable in speaking in groups or in yeah um, yeah so I don't really know when that moment kind of flipped for me be more comfortable doing it because I I don't mind it now when you're going about your day, what language do you think in? It depends on what I'm thinking about. Hmm. Think. If it, and dreams, too. Somebody asked me that. What do you dream in? What language do you dream in? And I think it depends on what I'm dreaming about or what I'm thinking about. If it's something to do with my work, it's always in, in um, English. Mm-hmm. If I'm thinking about something uh, to do with my family back home in Africa, then I probably think in that language. Depends on what I'm saying to people, I guess, mm-hmm. in my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool to have access to all those different ways of seeing the world. Yeah, yeah, I think so. There's, there's a lot of good things in the world, and both of my cultures, and bringing them back together it makes me unstoppable. I think that's so cool. Yeah, can you tell us a bit more about your home culture or your home life before you moved here? Um, I was younger growing up, so it was um. Uh, the Congo has always been really a conflict area mm-hmm. country, unfortunately. And so growing up, uh, there was always a lot of conflicts and war going on. So school was not as stable. We go to school for a few years and then one year where we didn't go to school and then the next year we went to school. because the conflict got too bad? Was, yeah. Yeah. Oh. So it's just like a lot of war going on and just fleeing from places to places. Wow. Um, but in the house, I grew up with, uh, my parents were really, um, Christian family. We're a Christian family. Uh, both of my parents, my dad is a pastor. Okay. And, uh, so we went to church every Sunday or, and then we went to church 
few days during the week as well. Um, that's we how my family was growing up too. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, that's kind of made me who I am, being coming from uh, a faith faith family, mm-hmm. um, and we um, I don't know grow up have a lot of brothers and sisters, so it was really um, loud in my house. Mm-hmm. We had a, <laughs> during the meals or when we're just playing around. Um, me and my brothers and I, we played a lot of soccer That's just great. outside in the community. Um, I don't know what else. It was cool. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fun to have the siblings around and the activities. I think that's really cool to see about, and soccer especially seems like that continuance for people who come here and everything's different. Mm-hmm. Um, soccer can be that sense of community and yeah. Oh, I'm good at this. I can do this, and just let your mind go and just play. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. If, have you ever heard of Nations United? Is that a soccer team? It's a soccer. <laughs> it's a soccer. Is it on Ted Lasso? It's non- <laughs> <laughs> no, it's here in Boise. Okay. It's it's a it's a nonprofit organization now. We have our own five hundred one c. Okay. Um, and it, it it was started by. A lady named Mary Carol Taylor. She's a librarian at oh. uh, South Junior High. That's funny. I would never picture a librarian starting a soccer club. But go, Mary. That's cool. She's awesome. Um, anyways, I've been coaching for them for about oh. seven years now. And Nations United is all made of kids that came here as refugees. Um, and they, uh, so we have really almost like 100 kids every season to play on uh, through Idaho Rush. That's so cool. Yeah, it's really awesome. Um, many of them go to college and then they play for their high schools. Yeah. But this uh, this organization has helped a lot of kids that came as refugees continue playing soccer. That's so, so like great. when I first got here, there was no Nations United. There was Idaho Rush. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't speak English, but most of the kids that I met, they saw that I played soccer and they, they were like, they welcomed me in that community. So the soccer community here is kind of, it's, it's amazing. That's so cool. And it reminds me of the Tufan uh, FC club, yeah. which is the Afghan guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they just hosted the Seattle oh, Afghan yeah, yeah. team. And it was just really fun. Brought people together. And it was I sat and watched. It froze my buns off, but I sat and watched. And it was really fun. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, growing up, I never really was exposed to that much soccer. We were a basketball family. Yeah. Um, tall family. Did you play basketball in yeah. high school? High school, not in college, college, but in yeah. volleyball, which, um, you know, volleyball for me is kind of that thing that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I used to play a ton, and then COVID happened, and I got out of the habit. And, you know, winter rolls around, and I really struggle with winter. I don't know if you do, too. I think in Idaho, it's just dark, dreary. I yeah. get kind of depressed. It's just... Mm-hmm get off work and it's dark and um now i have two nights a week i have volleyball to look forward to oh you do yeah so it's helping me a lot um i play indoor soccer as well was, oh, okay yeah so it's kind of same thing but mm-hmm. i didn't know there was like a leagues for yeah volleyball they're big boise meridian nampa and like uh, the why where do you guys um play i play through the city boise city has a league so what? it's all over like schools or fort boise or whatever oh okay nice mm-hmm. that's cool i 
I want to join a volleyball team. Okay, I'll let you know. I'm on a co-ed team right now. So. Oh, you are? Yeah. Let's have a tryout. If you uh, meet my <laughs> standards, then I'll invite you on my team. Whoa, okay. I want to start. A, <laughs> can you pass the, the ball? In the, in the low division. Did you know that you can up. kick the ball in volleyball and it's valid? You can kick People it? People have saved. Like, yeah. You can a, use any part of your you body can kick or it. what? Mm-hmm. It's a sneaky move, then but I, you can then do I will. It. Then I think I can survive. Yeah, you can pop it with your head. You can <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I'll let you know next time. It's just funny. I like sand volleyball. Yeah. You can dive and still not hurt yourself. Well, but. most of the time. I played sand this summer and uh, one of my teammates stepped on a nail. So you never know. Oh, no. What you're going to find. Okay, never mind. <laughs> no, it's still fun. Yeah. Awesome. But, um, were there any other... Like for your family, were there any other things like that where you found your sense of community again once you got here? Like, were you able to join a church that spoke your language and things like that? Yeah. So my dad actually started an African church here. Oh, okay. Still uh, practice at the meet every Sunday night at um, Collister United Methodist oh, Church. Oh, that's great. And my uncle has one. And there's a few people that have African churches. Is it so, mostly Swahili? Or yeah, the, most of the time they speak Swahili or the other one they speak Kenya Rwanda or Kenya Malangu. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, that community is there. And then I've had a lot of sub-communities, I guess mm-hmm. I could say, that I've been part of that are very, uh, you know, become, some of them become really good friends and family members. Um, my work family as well. And yeah. You're also really active in the community. I know you serve on a few boards or a couple boards. Um, yeah. What's the driver for you to be involved that way? Just to stay connected with people that um, I've worked with in the past. Um, and the boards that I'm on right now is Janus and also uh, IMED. Um, and it's it's uh, the Idaho Museum for um, international. The international Diaspora. Yeah. That's that's what I made is for, um, and they're both kind of really close to my heart. Like I used to work for Janus, and I, you know, IOR is a big part of my existence. I believe, mm. <laughs> I could say, being in Boise, mm. and um, both birds are really really meaningful to me. So, being on those birds, I can help people that I used to work with, and people that still come to the United States and yeah. stay involved in the community. Um, yeah. That's cool. Just for anyone listening that might be confused or watching now, I guess they're on video. Yeah. Um, uh, Idaho Office of Refugees, where I work in this podcast is produced out of, is part of Janus. It's a health and human services organization in Idaho. And so that's the umbrella we're under. And um, Idaho Museum for International Diaspora is a partner, mm-hmm. a wonderful community organization. If you haven't heard of them, please look them up. But we recently yes. entered an agreement with them to do cooking classes to feature chefs from all of these different countries and the cuisines that they're specializing in. So we and, have those and on the books. Polina is a force. Mm-hmm. She's awesome. And she does a really good work. Polina, uh, her last name's, I'm trying to see if I can say it right, Luangate. Yeah. Um, she was a speaker at our Idaho conference on refugees with Jane Chu, and we put that on the podcast. So go back to season one if you want to hear that. They talked about um, Polina came when she was three years old from from Laos, Laos and yeah. her her single mom brought her and her little brother. So really, really powerful story there. So if you'd like to check that out, go back in season one. Yeah. So those are really cool organizations to be to be supporting and yeah. be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, when you are thinking about people who are kind of years behind your path, like they're just now getting to Idaho mm -hmm. to resettle. Yeah. What would you want to share with them? I would want to share with them that everything is going to be okay. Um, Idaho and Boise especially is a really welcoming city. And lean on, you know, on people that are, are helping you because they, they've done this before and they've helped a lot of people resettle here. Um, and uh, this community is very people driven and uh yeah i think if you're new to idaho i think you're gonna be fine mm. and that's that's just from my experience man i think that uh there's a lot of good people here that are doing a lot of good work to help others and uh yeah it's a good state it's interesting because you said you resettled at age 13 which is a very tender age mm -hmm. but do you think there are any advantages to resettling at a younger age versus as an adult yeah there's a lot of advantages first you don't have to worry about work <laughs> and how you're going to support a whole family mm -hmm. as a kid i just had a different kind of aspirations than my dad did you know i i thought i was going to be a professional soccer player mm -hmm. which happened i am a soccer player. i'm just kidding <laughs> but um so you have to know you're so famous <laughs> thanks for being here yeah you're welcome <laughs> you don't know what you yeah um and um learning the language is a lot easier if you don't know english already um i kind of not adopting but picking up norms and things that are you know new here people the, the cultural norms and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that it's a lot easier to do um, and follow through when you're younger because if you're there's a lot of new things that you know if you're you come here older you're not as open to seeing the way people live here mm -hmm. and maybe not as open to being able to let that um, be part of your life so i think coming younger was was an advantage for sure and then the school part as well if your education is really um, key for younger kids that come here to, uh, I mean to succeed in this country you have to be educated and, and uh, when you come younger you get that chance to do that mm. um, and many of the kids are that came here from, from some African countries did not have that access to education like we did here mm. so it's nothing was free so and most many of their parents couldn't afford them oh you had to pay for it paying yeah paying to go to school um and uh it wasn't as you know as good of education like yeah. like it is here um so yeah there's a lot of uh, advantages being coming younger yeah i think about the parents you said the pressure to earn a living and i think um people sometimes will come from places where only one parent needed to work to make ends meet and mm -hmm. the other parent could more take care of the family. Yeah. And here with a lot of the rents that we're seeing, it requires the two working household. Two uh, and or all more. the kids, yeah, or more to do that. And nowadays it's like you have to work even extra to to pay rent mm -hmm. in Boise. It's really or mortgage or yeah, whatever it, it is. Yeah, exactly. And um I can't imagine being, you know, like what being in my my father's shoes when we first got here with ten kids and ten kids, yeah, wow. and being able to support them when you have some medical um, 
things that you have to deal with as well yourself mm-hmm. and the future. Like I, I can't imagine what he was, was going between you know through his head mm-hmm. of thinking about how he's gonna survive without speaking English. He doesn't know anybody. There is all these strangers that are helping you, which is awesome, but you can't communicate clearly with them. Mm-hmm. You have to communicate through a translator, and and then also, you, you know, there's there's a lot of unknowns in his head of, as those that those those were different responsibilities that he had than I did, and yeah. I was just excited to be here. Yeah, <laughs> being a kid, but, just go yeah. along with the ride. Yeah. Yeah, that would be that would be heavy. I mean, in one sense, you probably have this relief that you're finally here because I know it takes. I don't know if you know how many years it took your family to get through the process. I know it takes a long time usually. Yeah, I believe it took us about eight years from throughout the whole thing, the refugee mm-hmm. camp and everything. But yeah, there were people that were born in a refugee camp. They lived there for twenty years before. What was the setting the like of the refugee camp where you lived? Was it? Your dad got up and got went to work, or like, what did it look like? Yeah, no, nobody no. worked in the refugee okay. camp, so it was, it was just kind of uh, the one that we were in was newer. Um, it's called the Gatumba refugee camp, okay. and unfortunately, we didn't last long there because the the camp that we were in actually got attacked, okay, and everything was you know burned. It was terrible, terrible things happened, but um. But it was just tents, and the 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 tents were made of tarp, so it was not anything like a camp that you would think of. I mm-hmm. guess uh, there's no you know structured buildings or anything like that. So d- to get your meals, is there a distribution center that you go to? So every month, of the beginning of the month, there will be like a UN will bring uh, like meals for people to the. So they will give you food based on the how many people you have in your family. So like, they do like a kilo of uh, everybody's just get like a kilo of rice, kilo of um, flowers, some kind of flour, and then also um, corn flour. Yeah. So and then also they give you beans, I think. And I think it was peas or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what else, but mm-hmm. that's what you got for a whole month. No meat then. No. Oh, if you had meat, then you would be. <laughs> There's no meat, nothing like that. Okay. Yeah, um, they didn't. Dist- yeah, it was mostly just rice, flour, and beans. I think. I Were there a closely. lot of other people in the camp? Yeah, there was a lot of people in there. Yeah. And as a kid, what was that like for you? Did you just keep? It's like what you knew, so you go about your life, or like. Yeah, it was. Again, I used to play soccer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With a lot of my friends that. We were in the camp with some of them I knew before we went to the camp, and some of them were mm-hmm. or met there. Um, so it was kind of a time in my life where I just it was uh, unfortunately normal again mm-hmm. for us to just be there and follow what my parents are saying and what we're doing. And you um, emceed at our conference earlier this year and you brought the soccer ball that you yeah. and your friends made or your brothers mm-hmm. what was that made out of again plastic bags and uh yeah cloth piece of cloth and over time you yeah you just go around it. the the you know the city or whatever you were in the refugee camp find plastic bags that's why you made the soccer ball out of yeah and uh we have money to go buy the right ball and so we just kind of improvise and made our own 
Were any of your friends from that time of life resettled in Boise as well? Yeah, there's a lot of families here that were in the refugee camp with us that okay. um, resettled here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Were you able to kind of bond together here once you got here? Yeah, we we bond together here, and then we do every year on August 13th. Most of the people that were in that same refugee camp do a memorial for the Gatuma Memorial here. Okay. In Boise, wow. um, so it's uh, yeah, it's it's really good to see them and to because they were they were in the same mm. the same. You know, they experienced the same tragedy as we did, and so it's good to have that community together here in Boise. And we there's a lot of them, actually. What does that look like, that event or that gathering? So it's, um, it's it happens every year, and it, sometimes they, they, there's a bigger scale for it where they do all of them that have resettled in the United States meet somewhere. Mm-hmm. But each state also has people that, many states have people that were in that refugee camp that meet in their own state as well. Mm. Uh, mainly, it's, it's um, they kind of remember doing a memorial for all the people that we lost in the refugee camp, and then also they um, seek justice because there's, there's not been anything done from the government of Burundi about what happened and mm. how many people lost their lives. And um, there's, there's just nobody's... The people that came out and took responsibility and said they did it, mm. but serving in the government right now so it's it's just uh, a movement to try to get justice for for gatumba uh, victims mm-hmm. yeah wow well that's i'm glad to hear there's an ongoing memorial yeah for yeah. that and yeah. a gathering with other people who experienced it as well that's really powerful mm-hmm. you um gave kind of some wise words to people who are arriving do you have any advice or just words for people who um are more of the like receiving community Mm -hmm. um who want to be welcoming be a place where people are included um any thoughts for Idahoans that just care yeah I think uh first I would like I said thank you for being willing to welcome strangers in you know, what I hear when people say, oh, from California, we don't like that. <laughs> it drives me, I don't know why people would say that because I just think people are people and it doesn't matter where you come from. You should all be welcomed. If there's there's a whole country, we can all kind of, I don't know, share it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, for for people that come from different countries, they're seen in the different ways. You know, if, if you're a refugee, you're an immigrant, it's just kind of, there's a lot of negative um, thoughts or things mm-hmm. that come with those just words. Yeah. But uh, we are all the same in the many ways that we are different. Um, and I think being human and talking to people that I've met before that were strangers to me that become became family members that I didn't choose. Mm-hmm. I think it's from just communicating with them and getting to learn who they are as people, not as what you might think they are, mm-hmm. not as what their label does, but individually. Like yeah. we have a lot in common than than people would see at first from what you were being labeled as. Yeah, and it's interesting because refugee is just a kind of an immigration status for a certain time mm-hmm. of your life. And it doesn't, yeah. So for you, do you, that term refugee, what does it mean to you right now? Like, do you like 
is it like, yes, I'm a refugee? Is it like a badge of honor or is it more like I'm a former refugee? I went through that or, you know, how do you like interact with that term now or do you at all? I don't want to get rid of it because it's part of me mm-hmm. and it's part of my identity. Right. So it's I don't want to be like, I hate that term or whatever, <laughs> yeah. which is which is, other people can. You know, it's it, 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 it depends on how you interacted with it or how the how it that, you know, that term is in within your own life experiences with me i know that's kind of part of me so i put it there as um, first a reminder of where i come from and also things that i went through with my family and to where i am right now being a former refugee is part of me mm-hmm. and i don't hate that it's it's a word that's associated with me mm-hmm. um, but for other people if you're only seen as a refugee you're only seen as this label that you have on there, then I can see why other people can hate having that even be a vocabulary in their yeah life experiences. So, but um, like I'm more than this. I am more it's than so this much more than this. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I am more than that. But also, like it's part of me as well. This is also me. Mm-hmm. That's what I take as a, in my in my own experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'm human first, and everything else comes after that. Yeah, we're all human first. The only reason we have borders is because humans in the past decided to label them as such. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, what has what has your experience like working with so many people from that come from you know refugee background and being you know you are the receiving mm-hmm. giving you know the receiving them and also not just as a human but also as a service provider. Mm that helps them resettle and also be, you know, figure out who they are as mm-hmm. people after they're being labeled, <laughs> I guess, if that yeah. makes sense. I think for my role is um, a lot of the times my role comes in a little bit later than somebody's initial time here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, at the resettlement agencies themselves, people are actually doing the case management and helping with the necessities yeah. In that kind of initial flood when someone gets here. Mm-hmm. So my role tends to be more um, removed from that very like tender time period in somebody's life. And I'm more of um, the opportunities that come once you kind of have your feet under you a little bit more. And yeah. maybe so I work for you know, like global talent. I like, can help people get back to their careers that they really loved or mm-hmm. um, refugee speakers bureau. I'm really passionate about um, helping promote voices of Idahoans who did come through the refugee program and are ready to share about their lives. So I think it's really um, special because the whole humanizing the experience is really where my role in communications comes in Mm -hmm. and um, helping people that don't know anything about refugee resettlement all the way to people who have firsthand experience, like helping make those connections and like facilitating. I think a lot of what resettlement does and um, people who are helping are really just like people come here have dreams for their lives, hopes mm-hmm. for their lives, skills, personalities that they just want to get to where they want to get. Mm-hmm. And they don't need anyone to dictate what that looks like for them, but they just don't quite know in this what, foreign place, like what are the stepping stones for me? Mm-hmm. So if we can help light that path or like provide some tools along the way, um, that's what I see us as doing. Like, hey, we're familiar with this place. So let us like be a flashlight for you and yeah. let us be like a... A rope, right? If you're climbing a big wall or something. Yeah. But you get to choose like where you want to go, 
who you want to be, um, mm-hmm. that agency. And that's awesome. That um, I know Office for Refugees, you, you do see people after they went through the agencies, but you also support the agencies that helps the people, mm-hmm. right? So you're kind of a... It's a network. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a big thing to come to a new country with really nothing. Yeah. And so it takes a community to to really, like, I, I see it as mutual thriving. Like, Idaho, Boise would not be as, like, strong and vibrant of a place to live if we didn't have our resettlement program. So mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for it just in the terms of the cultural diversity that I get to experience. Like, my nieces go to school with kids from all over the world yeah because of refugee resettlement which is really special yeah it's awesome to see because you know just being from here you need some uh, other <laughs> we need some <laughs> yeah seriously yeah it would just be a little all the same <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 i mean even like what polina's doing to celebrate the diaspora that are here and yeah i like to check out the different markets try different foods um just hear stories i love to hear people's stories of home like people mm-hmm. from afghanistan and even like Ukraine have shared when they are in certain parts of Idaho, they're like, this reminds me of home. Yeah. And I've had that experience in South Africa driving through some of the fields. Mm-hmm. This could be Idaho. If I got plopped down right here, I could think I'm in Idaho. So it's kind of fun to yeah to hear like what speaks to people, what comforts people yeah. and how we all find that in our own ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely <laughs> being from somewhere else. You, you see things in the, different places that reminds you of home or you know food or, mm-hmm. or even landscape like you're saying it's like it's kind of cool to see yeah it's uh when people miss their food like their home country food yeah when they come here and uh i'm like yeah i don't blame you because <laughs> in america a lot of times the food is not good for us you know it's yeah. just uh when i lived in south africa and people had Americans visiting and they're like, oh, can you bring? It's always like Reese's Puffs, like <laughs> like stuff that we can't find in the grocery store, like yeah, not healthy. At all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm well, like, yeah, we could up our food game a little bit. I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if people in where when I grow up is like we didn't eat in the restaurants. It was all just like yeah, home cooked. It. What's the best meal like, to you? The best meal to me. Oh man, it would be like ugali, which is, okay. um, and I guess it's fufu is 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 a is a close to English word for it, but it's French. <laughs> um, and uh, I work with someone who's always talking about fufu. Oh, Judith. Oh, does she? Yeah, <laughs> she's always talking. She's about probably fufu yeah, yeah. And cassava. Cause, yep, <laughs> fufu and cassava, and just a good soup mm. or fried fish. Okay. And uh, uh, rice on the side. Nice. That would be a good, a good meal. Love it. Now I'm getting hungry. I think it's lunchtime, actually. <laughs> <Is> I, <laughs> I, I think it is. <laughs> yep. All right. Like, well, <laughs> I should let you go get your lunch. Yeah. Well, Moses, thank you for for being here. Thanks you so much for having me. You. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it. Finally made it on the, the you know. The podcast. 2.0. Moses 2.0. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. You too.